We virtually harassed male gamers, but we did it in such a way that we got consent. The door was unlocked. We made sure they felt safe. I actually approached every single subject as if they had trauma before coming in. So I wanted to be respectful while fucking with them in a very sweet way. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad! Trying to find out how to do life but it turns out nobody knows it's jenna friedman on the podcast you i was gonna say you know her you love her i assume you do uh it's one of the first things i said to jenna was you're famous right Because in my head she is, but also I don't know anything, right? Like I have no frame of reference, so I don't know if you know Jenna Friedman. What I'm saying is you probably should know Jenna Friedman. You should come and see her shows. You should check her out online. She's uh, very, very bright, and I am sure and very hopeful that you will love this episode with her. Now, um, just before I let you listen to that, I want to remind you that I'm going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with my brand new show called The Bum Swing. And The Bum Swing is about memory and bums, and it's probably the show... I don't think I've ever been happier with a show than with this one. I'm just so excited to do it, and yeah, I'm really excited for you to see it. So come and see it, and I will also probably be taking it on tour so sign up for my newsletter to find out where I'm going to be going with that after the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Also, I got Secret Dinosaur Cult. Secret Dinosaur Cult is my other podcast. And I'm so proud of it. And it's a live comedy podcast that I do with Jody Mitchell. So it's basically run by two non-binary people, which is pretty cool. Two queer non-binary people. Hello, how cool is that, right? And it's uh, about queer stuff and daddy issues and trauma and <laughs> kinks and, oh yeah, and dinosaurs, of course. Um, so go and download Secret Dinosaur Cult and come to some of our live shows. It's an incredible atmosphere. And if you're someone who wants to meet like-minded people, I mean, come to those shows because our audience are the best, the best best people so that was me raving about that thank you for coming to my tour everyone it was lovely seeing all of you well it was lovely seeing all of you who came to my tour not that every single person listening to the podcast came to my tour but um oh would you actually would every single person listening please come to my tour that would make some very fun shows I'm I keep being amazed at how many <laughs> how much of a type I have when it comes to an audience. I mean there's several types of people coming of course but you know there was one show where I think approximately eight people said that as they were saying hello to me they said they were mid anxiety attack. And I was just and I'm not of course not laughing at that as if it's not horrible to have an anxiety attack as I know it is but it's just such a such a type you know I'm like yeah of course you have an anxiety attack you're my audience (laughs) we're the same people we're scared of everything this is just who we are I loved it I thought it was so beautiful also because when I have an anxiety attack I just don't I just want to go home I'm not going to queue to meet someone whose show I've just seen you know so I love that people felt safe enough to be like hello I'm having an anxiety attack would you sign my book because I'm like yes I love that you can trust me that I'm not going to be weird about it and if anything I was like oh god I feel like I know you now so so yeah thank you for being (laughs) thank you for being these anxious um those nerdy outsiders I don't know how to explain how I'm basically just like explaining, uh, describing myself, and then assuming you're most of you are like that. So, thank you for being, thank you for, for me having found my people. Basically, now I'm gonna let you listen to this uh, episode with the incredible Jenna Friedman. So, for people who. Well, there won't be that many, but people who might not know who you are. <laughs> there are a lot. <laughs> I think. No, I don't, I don't, I don't really know your I mean, reach, really. But I, and to me, you're very famous. 
But for people who, for whom you're not, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself? Famous, that's just funny. Uh, hi, I'm Jenna Friedman. I'm a comedian and a writer. Um, I am based in the U.S. of A. at the moment. At the moment? I mean, who Are you considering knows? that? I think everybody is. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, at the moment I'm there. How is it, how, um, what's that like at the moment? What's the actual day-to-day -day reality of I think the news is overwhelming a lot of people. So <coughs> a lot of people are tuning out, um, myself included sometimes, just because it's overwhelming. Um, in terms of political comedy, I think people are just not wanting to hear it. It's just too uh, raw and overexposed. Um, but it's all, it, a lot of it, unless you, I mean, it's interesting because if you're an undocumented person, you're feeling it more than other people. Um, if you're like a girl in a, you know, state that recently passed draconian abortion laws, which actually, um, haven't gone into effect, but I think, uh, the impression that they will is probably would I would imagine be weighing on people. Um, but it is a, a lot more bluster than, like, on the ground, it doesn't really feel as crazy as um, it's it seems in the media. I was in D.C. recently doing comedy, and I did feel kind of like the movie Cabaret, but, like, without the cabaret, just the Nazis. Mm. <laughs> you, do quite, you do political comedy. Yeah, of course, yeah. So that's been... It's really interesting. I mean, I've been only kind of playing to pockets of people who like the stuff that I do, but I did a show in Seattle as well, and Seattle's a very interesting city because it's liberal, but then you step outside of the city, and it's almost like a lot of white supremacists. It has this kind of fake white liberal thing, like some pockets of the U.S., like places in Vermont, uh, Portland, Seattle, the Pacific Northwest. It's like people who are like, environmentally environmentally friendly and liberal but they're all white and so they do have a lot of blind spots you know like everyone in our country um but yeah i did a show there and there were like i knew that there was like a white supremacist rally that day at um one of the universities nearby and i had these guys in my show in the front row who like look like white supremacists and i did a segment about like are there any republicans in here and then i kind of launched into some stuff and they were like woo and it was it's it's scary but it's also like cool to be able to really like exercise free speech and like kind of in a comedic way with in i would say mixed crowds as in politically mixed crowds right now in America, which you don't really find that much of. What, what, did anything happen? Did they... No, there were four guys, and I, like, kind of just, like, I, re I actually got a really good joke off of it that's going to be in my new show, but, um, I mean, I don't want to get too, like, paranoid or scary about it, but it, it was a little scary, you know, because, I mean, in our, I, I, yeah, first reasons I, I'm like afraid to say out loud it, it is scarier I think in America for one very obvious <laughs> reason I don't want to say out loud because for fear of invoking it but it is scary in our country right now are you a scared person how is your range of fear in general like are you, I'm like this are you like funny the, no are you like oh, this is absolutely not have to be funny um are you usually a I mean, I'm Jewish, so... I don't know the connotation. Oh, really? Okay. Is, well, that, is that a yes? Is that a... Is that yeah, the there's like a level. Or? I think there's like maybe just inherited trauma of like being a people that's been around for over 5,000 years and kind of having so many uh, times we've been chased. You just like... It's just like in your DNA. Because like yeah. if you aren't paranoid, then like you didn't get out of Berlin. You know? Okay. I don't know if that's funny. no. I had well, I had a, I guess previous and I'm trying to think of the word for it. There's a word for it, isn't there? Epigenetics. That's the one. Yeah, I've just yeah yeah. Someone just talked about that. I think everyone has inherited trauma. I mean, I was just in Ireland, and like uh, Irish people have been so oppressed for so long, and and I think you know like 
everyone just women being oppressed and what women have gone through that that passes down to their sons and daughters it's a really interesting thing i'm not a scientist maybe i should have been but yeah inherited trauma is really interesting yeah absolutely is that your were you always going to be a comedian uh no I mean, I, I studied anthropology, and I got into comedy from, like, an academic paper I wrote about it. And then, like, I started doing improv, and it's... Have you ever done improv? Terrified of it. Really? I'm terrified. Most people who do improv are terrified of stand-up, but it's never the other way around. Really? Yeah. What? Not knowing what to say, that's the Well, biggest. I think... What if you're not funny? That's horrible. At least when it's written, you can plan being being funny. Yeah. Well, I think you're naturally funny because you write your stuff. Isn't it funny that both of us are like, we both have like (laughs) imposter syndrome or something? Because you're like, you're a comedian and you're famous. I'm like, I'm not famous. I'm like, thanks for calling me a comedian. (laughs) And I'm all like, I'm not funny. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I'm like, I'm not funny. That's like my um, catchphrase. (laughs) Don't laugh. I'm not funny. (laughs) Trump, Trump. No. Um. What was, oh, yeah, no, improv, well, most people who do it, like, take a year of classes before they actually perform. Oh, so yeah. you're kind of, like, gestating in a womb of, of comfort and care from teachers who just are passionate about it. And then when you perform, you're on stage with your friends and everybody, like, before, it's so cheesy, but before everybody gets on stage, they're like, got your back, got your back. Aww. And so it, it. You know, in the best case scenario, you're just basically playing make-believe with your friends. But then I, I was doing impression in Chicago and I would, they would have these like open court, like open mic type things where you would do improv with strangers. And that's how you actually got good at it because there would always be like, we were like 23 or whatever. There would always be like one wild card, random man in his 50s who like drove down from like Arlington, Illinois. And his like one improv move whenever he got scared in a scene he would just like grab your leg <laughs> this is like <laughs> and so you'd have to like justify it in like a fun way like your first day of school won't be that hard honey like it's so stupid but it really taught you to th- like think on your feet and be and like it I think it like makes people better people because you're that whole idea of yes anding it's like this philosophy of just like agreeing to someone else's reality and then expanding upon it and it's such a good like teamwork exercise so i fell in love that's how i got into comedy through improv and then i would um all my characters kind of had a similar point of view and then that's kind of what started me doing stand-up so they were basically all you. like Jewish, <laughs> no, like not Jew. I guess I don't mean to. It's weird to make that statement and not in America because I guess it has a different connotation. Like when you think of it, <laughs> I was gonna say when you think of American Jews, you think of Woody Allen, but don't think of that anymore. <laughs> don't think of that. But it's like the like neurotic uh, New Yorker thing. But um, well, that's the thing. I think I, my own my only connotation from that is from American sitcoms and TV shows and. I never want to take that as a fact. I'm always like, well, I don't know how much that's based on something bad. I mean, it is like a, it's like a type of humor, like from like the Borscht Belt, you know, Mm. humor thing. I guess like, yeah, I don't know. So were you, were you a funny child? I was always like morbid. My sister was a funny one and she's like a banker now. And she's still pretty funny. But I was always, like, dark and morbid and, like, really into, like, just, like, dark, weird stuff. Like what? The, uh, I loved Edward Gorey. I loved Raw Dahl. I loved, like, 80s horror movies. Um, my first book I read was about uh, the Branch Davidian cult, like, in Waco, Texas, mm. David Koresh. That was, like, my first adult book that I read. Vampire Bats. Dracula, like just weird stuff, you know? My dad got me this book when I was little called The Big Book of Death, and it was a comic book, and every chapter had a different one was like death by government, one was like death by disease, and it was like typhoid Mary, and I just loved that stuff. I had a, I was a, mem- a member, a subscribe, I subscribed to this club called The Monster Club, and they would send some pages you could put into this book each month, and it would be like different types of monsters. It would be... <laughs> 
sharks are a type of monster, dinosaurs are a type of monster, and I'd be like, oh. just, there was a, a, a thing that said, this is how they could kill you, and I'd be like, that what it would read first, <coughs> That's like, how could this kill me? I think it was sort of the same, very obsessed with death and just like the the scary the scary stuff. Yeah. But I know where mine comes from, severe trauma. Where does your come oh, from? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I would say like inherited trauma. No, the lack thereof. I don't know. I I, I, uh, I guess I, I had a very uh, like safe, cushy upbringing. I didn't, it comes out of nowhere. Um, so it must have been inherited trauma, which I also feel like if you have had severe trauma, call it, Talking about inherited trauma does sound kind of problematic. No, not at all. No, I don't think so. I think it's very, very real. Well, it's definitely real. But it's like almost like it. I would write a caricature of somebody who's had like so much inherited trauma, and then they become like like a victim advocate, but they have no leg to stand on because their <laughs> life has been so cushy. Like it's a funny premise. Well, I think. Uh, yeah, I see, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. <laughs> it's like such a place of privilege to be like, well, I understand how you feel. Because my, my, my grandmother, actually. <laughs> my grandmother was, I don't know, insert, horrible. Anyway. I, I think when I... So now you're obviously in a position where you're an outspoken woman. I mean, I speak. So now <laughs> you're a speaking woman. <laughs> so... Having, I think what I'm so, you know, when now that we're meeting right now, I've just talked to a bunch of people with, and they've all had, um, apart from, no, they've all had like traumatic childhoods. And I think what I got from all of them has been this uh, almost like they can handle basically just absolutely everything because they have to become like an adult by the age of nine. Um, so from someone who doesn't have that in your immediate background. And I'm not yet an adult. <laughs> no, I, I... I think I'm just I'm thinking, just wondering, so now you've been, you're getting all this, I assume, all this abuse online and like all this... I, am I wrong to assume that you're... I feel like I've, you've been in a few shitstorms, haven't you? I've I said had, that as a fellow shitstormer. Yes, yes, we're uh, like uh, comrades in this. No, you know, I have... Some of them, I think I was asking for it. Um, the most aggressive stuff I have online, though, actually, like my, the, the, the project I have on Adult Swim, the, I feel incredibly lucky for the amount of shit I've not gotten for that. The sh stuff I get shit for is, you know, I was on Colbert on election night, and I blacked out when I found out Trump was gonna know I just we we were on a live show and it uh nobody was allowed to like look at the results and, and then we found out Trump had like was about to clinch the nominee or like was about to win um right as we got on stage and and Stephen asked me what I thought and I just said something kind of flippant without really thinking and it was about I just said get your abortions now because we're going to be fucked and we're going to have to live with this and I wasn't wrong but people reacted very strongly to that and it did t teach me a lesson I could you know get into in a minute um but I feel like I'm rambling yeah <laughs> what was your question? No, go no, I no, go on because mine was bad. Go well, on. What was your question? It was just about how how you handle that, like how you handle suddenly getting. I all think this. now I know to just block the trolls. Yeah, and emotionally. Um, Does it? Did, did it ever bother you? Yeah, I mean, it it bothers you. Did you ever see Tina Fey's like speech where she was accepting, I think, a Golden Globe or something? I must have seen it. <coughs> and she like named the trolls. It was a couple oh, years I didn't ago. See that. It was really funny because it was kind of at the beginning of it. I mean, yeah, I don't. I, if it's a death threat or something like that, you know, then you report it. That type of stuff is scarier. But you know, I think blocking is the best way to do it, or just logging off, getting offline. You mm. know. Uh, talking to your peers and people you admire about how they handle it, that always helps. Um, I ran into a comic after, I had this little thing happen, and then I ran into a comic and she was like, you know, when, I, when she was uh, doing a show right after 9-11, she had like 
bomb threats called into her shows and had to hire Gavin DeBecker, which is like this private security company. And she said, as bad as it feels right now, at least you can openly criticize a president without fear of getting, you know, whatever. And so it is also interesting to like contextualize stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think blocking is the best way to be. And then the comment about, um, so the get your abortions now comment. At the time, Stephen made a joke about how what we're experiencing is porn for the Trump supporters. And that kind of stuck with me because it, like, I like to prod people, but I also don't want to be part of the problem. And so sometimes you say things or, or make things comedically that actually end up hurting what you really are trying to do. If you, are, if you do have an agenda, which I think for so long, at least in comedy, I was discouraged from having an agenda. And it's like an agenda is just a point of view. And my point of view is I want less people to die. And so, you know, if that's a problem with you, then, you know, there are so many other brilliant comedians you can go check out. That's all. But, um, yeah, but I think in our country at least, and I think here too, we're, we're definitely in a culture war. And I think you have to be strategic if you're going to wade into it on when to weigh in, how to weigh in, like what type of stuff to make. Like you have to be factually accurate. You know, you have to like kind of see things from all sides and find out your own blind spots because every single person has them. You know, um, I don't want to say you have to be bulletproof because I think gun analogies are, aren't helping us <laughs> or gun aphorisms or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. Blah, so blah. is there a different, was that, and I, I didn't see it, so I don't know, was that, um, was it not set up, but like being asked a question like that on Totally tele- live. No, everybody. Uh, no, I meant like, do, were they setting you up to say something that would potentially be. No, no? <laughs> we were all just mourning in real time. No, the, the, uh, that show has been really kind to me and what we were we just were you know when you do a, any panel show you'll have a producer call you and ask you questions or just kind of prep you but there was all the prepping of like when hillary wins blah blah blah, blah. oh wow <laughs> and then like we made one joke about what if trump wins and then we just didn't even it just it was inconceivable yeah and so i had felt that after brexit because i was actually in i think um brussels when brexit happened And I saw those results and I was like, we're in trouble. But then I got back to the U.S. and there was so much excitement that I just took it out of my mind. And uh, she did win the popular vote and there was collusion and there was hacking. So I don't even want to still acknowledge that he won and the Electoral College is a relic of slavery. This is, you're getting such a window into how I handle breakups. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, we didn't break up. (laughs) Um, Russia hacked us. (laughs) Anyway, but it just, it, so we were all blindsided. And yeah, I mean, I was caught off guard and I, I was thinking at the time, Russia hacked us. And I almost said that, or like, are we sure Russia didn't hack us? But online, I was getting so much crap from being like a conspiracy theorist. Uh, and I was scared. Like, I was actually yeah. scared because a friend of mine, Andrea Chalupa, um, her sister... Uh, worked for Hillary and was investigating Paul Manafort and experienced some creepy, creepy hacking and stuff into her phone. And Andrea talks about it. She and um, Sarah Kenzier have this podcast, Gaslight Nation, which is a really great political podcast. About Gaslight which, Nation? Yeah, it's, it's really excellent. And so, um, so I knew that was happening before the election. And so I just was wary to even invoke Russia because I just, you know... Mm. You know, like that's the type of stuff of like it felt like poking a hornet's nest at the time. Um, so I just went to the abortion stuff because that was also real. Like if you were following that in our country, you know, I used to work at The Daily Show. And so and I it's an issue I care about. And I think one day one of the producers typed my name and abortion into like the Daily Show email and like 42 pitches came up because I just like always wanted to cover an abortion story. And I got one on the air. Um but I was following that issue, so we just knew the direction it was heading. So none of so that's what was on my mind when Trump and Pence won. 
And I want to say that I, I'm a little, uh, not a little too opinionated, but I, I do want to say that regardless of your stance on when life begins, uh, I'm, I'm resisting the urge to tell a joke. Um, <laughs> there, there's a study from the Guttmacher Institute that says that in countries where abortion is legal, less women have them. So that's like how I try mm. to frame it. Like mm. if you are actually pro-life, you will want, you know, legislation and sex education. And I think we need to shift the conversation from like the moment it becomes a life to just like pragmatic science-based methodology, which we don't have in the U.S. for some reason anymore. Yeah, I was, it's, it's funny you say the thing about conspiracy, like being called a conspiracy theorist, because I feel like that's one of, the, uh, now I'm going to sound like one as well, I feel like that's one of the ways they make you not learn more or talk about the actual, that are yeah. conspiracies, but the things that actually That's the thing that happening. blows my mind, too, just the fact that like the actual, like the conspiracy theorists don't see the actual conspiracy. And yeah. that's, that is a tactic, a disinformation tactic. It's just like they turn, you, turn your brain upside down so you just kind of question everything. But it's like, yeah, they, well, I think it's one of the greatest weapons, isn't it, that they take like, everything that we would need in order to revolt or in order to revolu- have a revolution or in order to win stuff like being angry and fighting and uh, looking into things and revealing their secrets if you do any of that, you're just, oh, you're just a hysterical woman or uh, you're, you know, you're, oh, you're being too loud or you're being too much or you're being a conspiracy theorist or you're being crazy. Like they've already labeled, mm-hmm. you know, in case, in case the women get angry, mm-hmm. these are all the things they're going to not want to be. So as soon as you're like, oh, now I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but where, what you're saying might be very, very true. They've already guarded themselves yeah. from being called out by us being like, oh, shit, but I don't want to be that person. Yeah, no, it 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 it's, it goes so deep. Yeah, I looked into a lot of for my the the book I was writing about fatness. Uh, we looked into a lot of stuff about fat farmer, like big farmer, but for like um, diet products and stuff. And there there are books written about these terrifying things happening within the pharmaceutical industry, specifically in the in the U.S. And the more we were reading about this, and the more me and my research at Kevin Bay, the more we were talking about it, we were like. This is so scary. This is huge. This feels like a conspiracy. But it's not even a conspiracy because it's out there. It's out there. It's not even a secret. But if you start talking about it, you immediately feel like you start to sound mm-hmm. like you're not And you're already stable. policing what you're saying and thinking because you have to, because it's always under a microscope. Yeah. Just the way women are held accountable for our words more than men are for their actions. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a fly in the room. It's very, Great. very frustrating. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like if this, yeah... I feel like it's, when you when you start to think about the, and I I don't think they're intentionally clever, the the right wing. Like, no, I, don't think I you and I would make a killing being like right wing pundits, or like if we were red pilled, <laughs> all we have to do is take one photo with a gun down our pants, yeah. dye our hair. Well, mine blonde, or you would look great as a blonde, but yeah, your so. natural color is beautiful <laughs> as well. Um, but uh, yeah, we would just. You know, like Tommy Lauren it or whatever, Tammy Lauren. I don't know, but it's such an easy gig. You just shut off your brain, yeah, and you just say racist stuff, and yeah. money comes in. But that's the thing you're talking about with abortions. How the fact is that if it's legal, fewer people. But I think it's just in the even in the beginning of that sentence, they will have already shut off because they don't want fewer abortions. That's not what they actually want. They don't. They just want to. They they're just in it for the feelings. They're they want to. No, they want to control women. I mean, the yeah, exactly. abortion in specific. And I think the other thing is like I, after this, after the election. I mean, I started like reading a lot more history because you really do need to get like a context for why we are where we are now. Mm-hmm. And abortion is a really interesting one. I think like the topic in our country kind of emerged. I think after Reconstruction, where uh, white. Uh, conservative men were alarmed that you know uh, black people in our country were free and having babies and and that white women were having less babies so they wanted it was partly policing women's bodies uh, you know for uh, white supremacist goals 
And then it reemerged in the 70s, around the time of Roe v. Wade, but not directly connected to Roe v. Wade. Um, white Christian schools were segregating their schools, and I think at risk of losing government funding because of segregation. So um, these guys felt that they needed uh, more political power and they couldn't sell white evangelicals who weren't really a, a Republican voting bloc at the time on segregation because that's not palatable and it's wrong. So they created abortion as a wedge issue and they actually toured it around the country. I think it was one of the universities of Bob, Bob Hope University. I need to fact check. And then, um, yeah, so that became this thing in America called the moral majority, which was... Uh, a critical mass of religious white voters who were against abortion. But again, it wasn't actually about abortion. Like the Catholic Church in America didn't really have any um, interest in abortion. They didn't really care about it until this like propaganda com campaign in the 70s uh, to woo conservatives towards the Republican Party. So it, it has its roots in, in racism, really. Mm. And they were able to convince a bunch of... Because you think there's so much cognitive dissonance. It's like, you're pro-life, but you don't think pregnant women should have health care. You're pro-life, but you're okay for children at the border to die in cages. Like, you're pro-life, but, you know, it's just, you know, you support the death penalty. Like, it's just... And then also, the hypocrisy is so strong. Like, Alabama's law, um, where, you know... Uh, there are no exceptions in event of rape or incest. So like a child who's raped has to carry a fetus to full term. But if that same fertilized egg is in a lab, it's okay to discard it. Mm. So like the hypocrisies are so blatant. And it's, it's, it's so crazy. In Ohio, I know too much about this, but there's actually a bill where they, do you know what an ectopic pregnancy is? It's, it's a pregnancy when it's on the outside. Of when the it's on the outside. So it's non-viable and it could be very hazardous to your health. And one of the bills, written by a man, obviously, who's clearly not a doctor, was like, take it and take the fetus and just put it back in, and then that's how you'll have a baby. And that is like as scientifically factual as if, you know, you ingested your own semen to try to get it back into your balls. Like, that's a tweet. But <laughs> it's scary how... Not only are so many bills which make it into law not based on science, but they're like dangerously inaccurate. Yeah. And and spreading quite scary yeah. misinformation. Yeah. It's really really scary. So if but if we look at it like that, like you know, we have all these facts, you know, they're not, not hard to find. They're, they're there like it's very, you know, it's not like the That's why they're that's why like um you know, one of the, like, Kremlin talking points or, like, Trump has co-opted, I mean, that even, like, like Hitler talked about, like, the lying press, lying media. Like, if you so distrust in truth, then you don't know what to believe. But also they don't care. So do you think there's a... What, I, guess I think the, the, people care. I think politicians maybe don't care. Well, you know, the, the, the right-wing people, the fascists, don't... They're in it for the emotions, right? So they're in it for well, whatever did, I, feels... I, I think it depends. I oh, think, yeah? I think, I think I, I'm trying to not vilify people who support the people in power because I think they're just completely being conned and they're being radicalized by like yes. Fox News and everything. So the people in power on that side, um, currently the Republican Party, they're making so much money lying to people, selling them on lies. Mm. Um But I think actual everyday Americans do care. They're just, they've just been radicalized. But do you think, yes, okay, I agree. But do you think, I guess the question would be like, how, very largely is how do we win in air quotes? Because, what I, because that's a big question. But essentially, I f do you think it works pointing out the facts and the, the science? Or do you think we somehow have to get them the way they were Radicalized, which is through big lies and emotions, and you, you know it, the whole. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's something I think about a lot. I think it partly has to do with deprogramming, and um, 
There was an article I read about how um, Fox News, which started, I think, in 1995, has, like, ruined a generation of old people. Like, people, people's grandparent, like, one guy's grandfather died on his couch angry watching Fox News. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, it, it really is brainwashing people. And I think in our country, we are very naive and we underestimate language. Mm. And we think that hate speech is free speech. And we don't realize that, like, it if you're saying something that is a threat to another person's ability to exist peacefully, then that is not free speech. Yeah. And so we're seeing it now, like with Trump rallies, like there are, there was, uh, I think like 200%, 225% rise in hate crimes in counties where he had a rally. And so we're actually like seeing how impactful, um, hateful rhetoric is. Um, but on the topic of, you know, how do, we, how do we get people back on our side, this article, uh, one of the women whose, I think, father was, like, a Trump supporter or brother was a Trump supporter, she was kind and compassionate, and it's emotional labor, but she talked to the guy for a really long time, and he finally came around. And I think one of the dangers is making fun of people, which I also do, and I don't look like I'm I don't practice what I preach I think there is a space for everybody and if it's cathartic to make fun of Trump supporters for some people who are tired just to make them laugh that's yeah. also okay yeah but I think in the grand like if I were like a politician or somebody who wasn't in the game of comedy I think it is important to isn't it funny how contradictory I'm like I don't want to be part of the problem unless I'm getting paid a little <laughs> <laughs> no I mean sometimes whatever but um uh, I think it's like trying to approach people with empathy and uh, facts and compassion and being relentless about it. And it's totally exhausting. And it can only be people you love and trust who, you know, who, who also love and trust you. I mean, it's really, I don't, I think it's like impossible to reach out to strangers. I've had a lot of conversations as like a white woman with like, white women who supported Trump and it's it's I have not been really able to get through to them um before the election I did have a conversation with a guy who supported Bernie and was going to not vote in the election and we happened to be on a plane for three hours and he was from Seattle so he's like one of those guys um meaning like politically liberal but also wanting to opt out of voting because he had the privilege to Mm. and to his credit he emailed me after the day after and was like you know I know you're upset today, but I did vote for Hillary. And it, and it was cool because it's, I, I also like, I'm like, I know who I can't reach. I don't think I can personally reach Trump supporters, but part of why the Adult Swim show is exciting and nothing is less funny than being earnest is the demographic that watches that show are like young guys and kind of maybe like ironic disaffected they they're like there's a term edgelord which is like who can out do you know that term yeah i know the term yeah so they're like they're into that so i think that through comedy i can like try to like at least introduce them to ideas uh feminist ideas and tell me about the show what is the show it's called soft focus it's on adult swim it's now i think also on channel four i've done two specials so far and one has a segment on campus rape that uh, regardless how you feel about it, at the end of the day, I think it leaves people with thoughts about what is consent. And to me, that's all I wanted. I just wanted young guys to think about consent. Because yeah. I think thinking about it, planting the seed of maybe she's not consenting yeah. is awesome. Yeah, even when you like now, even when you hear them go, oh, I guess now we don't know anything anymore. You're like, yeah, I mean, at least you're, thinking, yeah. at least you're a bit scared. You, even yeah. at least you don't understand it. Yeah, so at least yeah. you're questioning it. So, and and I think the feedback that I got was a lot better than what I thought I was gonna get. A lot of guys enjoyed it and found it funny. And then we just did a segment on sexual harassment and gaming that is on YouTube, and I was afraid to put it on YouTube because I thought I would get yeah. massively trolled. And it went really well. Oh, really? Yes. That's and a it, big step. I know. And it's, it has to be funny, first and foremost, because if it's like didactic or preachy, like people tune out, I tune out. Mm-hmm. But what, what Adult Swim has allowed us to do is like so fucked up. But also, like we, we virtually harass male gamers, but we did it in such a way that we got consent. The door was unlocked. We made sure they felt safe. I actually uh, approached every single subject as if they had 
trauma before coming in. So I, I did it as feminine. I really try. And again, like we all have blind spots, but when I'm doing this fucked up stuff, I really try to like, like there's a thing we did with hot dogs and I actually had veggie hot dogs on set because during the pre-interview we wanted to make sure that if anyone was a vegetarian, we were respectful. That's not in the segment, but just if you see the two hot dogs are different colors, one's a veggie one. Um, so I wanted to be respectful while fucking with them in a very sweet way. Um, and the only feedback I got from the guys, one of them wanted, like asked to be an intern afterwards but none of them really knew it was comedy and like it is prank comedy is um right on the line of is it okay to do this you know it really depends but it it, the reception that it got i was really pleased with that so are you how much of your life or energy or i guess identity or how much of you just you is about political change because it's you know it's It's a it's a cause. It's something you talk about. About you do comedy about it. How much space does it actually take in you, in like your everyday life? It's actually political change is like a tough one because it it, it like the pendulum swings back and forth. I think it's really just like um, I care about people. I care about like men as well as women, you know, like, but what's gender? I don't know. I just want people to, like, have it easier. And um, so, and I think comedy is a really good way to, like, package ideas for people to kind of understand them. And I think as horrifying as this moment seems, it it actually, um, I was listening to this Audible book, which is amazing, called The Indignities of Being a Woman uh, by Meryl Marco and Megan Keister. And it just traces, like, Uh, how women um, have been treated in various aspects of society from, like, you know, pre-Egypt, like, you know, right at the hunter-gatherer moment where we shifted from hunter-gatherers to, like, agricultural societies to now. And it was so horrifying, and it just made me feel so lucky, even post-Trump. Like, and again, I'm, like, a white cis lady. Um, But it's better now than it's ever been. In our country, at least. Maybe New York City. Because we just, there was a report that just came out that said America is like the 10th most dangerous country to be a woman. Mm. <laughs> the U.S. Um, so I, I'm totally uh, insulated by my privilege. And maybe I should take back that last sentiment. That said, like when I read about in the Victorian times, like any woman who had any intellectual curiosity could be checked into a mental institution lobotomized by her husband or her father her like brother maybe husband father it put things into perspective yeah but is it like you wake up and the first thing on your mind is politics and what to do and what's happened now Oh, you can't be like that because then you can't function you know what i mean like everybody just i try to like you know if you if you go there then it's Everything is problematic. Every single thing. From like, you know, I, I try not to buy fast fashion. Um, straws. I don't really drink straws, but I definitely like will buy a coffee because I'm a millennial. I try to make it, but sometimes I just, sometimes you'll buy coffee. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, everything. It can, but I also I don't have kids, so I have a little bit more time to like think about stuff. Um, But no, it doesn't overwhelm me. It actually, I think being able to do comedy and get on stage and talk about your fears or like make political comedy is like, it's almost like a form of, it, it gets it out of you. Like you don't hold it inside. Mm. So it's, it's therapeutic. Like it's so hard to know what to do in this current moment. Like I'm, if, if I think about the children at the border of our, I'm mm. going gonna, to cry. Because I can't even. And there's nothing we can do. You know, I have friends who are journalists who've gone down to Torneo and documented stuff. And, and I have a, another friend who's in Tijuana. Uh, she's a documentarian doing amazing work. Um, and uh, I can't do that yet. And I don't know how to make anything about that funny. But, like, if I can make, like, a little video for, like, Adult Swim to, like, maybe tip guys off to the fact that, like, harassment online is a problem because it leads to harassment in reality or it precludes like women from like a really cool industry with a lot of money in it like they don't care 
if I can be like, hey guys, like maybe don't rape us, like that's my form of like activism that feels like impactful. So a question I always ask is this. Uh, what question would you most like for me to ask you? I mean, this is your show, so I have not, I just... Uh, have you never had like interviews done where you were thinking, can you just please ask me about this? Or why can't I ever just I would talk like, about this? Well, I hate meeting people for the first time on a podcast, Sophie, because, you know, I'm a fan of yours and I, I think like comedians, like all of our conversations now are like recorded. That's true. So I'd rather just kind of like hang out and like have a coffee and like really get to know you. Because even as we're talking now, it's all filtered through the lens of what is someone who doesn't know me going to think. Um, that's not really a question. No, no, what you mean? My, <laughs> if it helps in any way, my listeners are so lovely. I'm sure your listeners are oh lovely. Oh my God. They will already feel like they know you and they'll just want to hear how you're doing. And how well, you're that's feeling. the other thing that's interesting. Guys and ladies and people, I shouldn't say, guys is like a loaded term now, right? Um, humans and cyborgs and Siri and Alexa. Um, no, I, there has been a shift in with podcast culture of like people feeling like they want like a peek behind the veil as opposed to just like here's my content, take it or leave it. And I think with me, I really am kind of guarded and I've always been. And so I think people kind of don't know what to make of the stuff that I'm doing because like they don't know what side I'm on, which I like better. I mean, obviously I'm on the side of like no rape, you know, when I do those pieces. But I, I would rather people just like not need to know me uh, to appreciate the work. But I think the expectation now in this kind of overshare world, which isn't bad, it's cool because when people overshare, they're making other people feel less alone and they're sharing their stories and it's, it's just a really cool time. But I also like, I think I'm just bitching. <laughs> I would like people to, to, to be able to appreciate your work without having to like want like a piece of you. Or, because even if you guys, even if people think that they know you, they never know you. And, mm. and that's, it, it's weird. That's what idols, that's the issue with, idolizing anyone is isn't it yeah you get this false sense of familiarity yeah and you suddenly find yourself in their room at 3 (laughs) a.m and they're clawing at your mouth and you're like you wrote a book about modern love this isn't sexy is that what (laughs) oh they oh they say something or they do something problematic, which everyone does at some point. Everyone's yes. problematic. And then, everybody and then jumps you feel you. you feel personally attacked because you invested in what who you thought they were as a person. And I think idolizing anyone is a like a a quick way to being very disappointed at some point. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure on I think both of us too, because we're we're operating in this space and culture is evolving and we're all trying to keep up with it. But it's like if you're a comedian in this in the kind of social justice inclusive space, like you're not gonna get it right all the time. And then when you don't, I think there's this like people kind of do go on the tack because a lot of people have anger and a lot of times it's misplaced. And it's easy to just go after that person who reads their DMs. Yeah, I, th- I I'm very I thought so much about this recently because because the right Right-wing people are so organized right now, and it's scary. It's well, fa- that's the thing. Fascists scary. get in line. Yeah, it's so super scary. And then, and it's not. The, I mean, I think everyone should be called out. Of course, I think they should. But I think we just need to re-eval- reassess the situation. The situation isn't that we're all good people and we should be perfect. That's not what it, this is. The, the, what we need to acknowledge is that we're all problematic all the time, and then we need to get better. And have empathy as a... Maybe, I, like, call-out culture is weird, you know? It's weird, but it's weird because people suddenly go, did you hear they did something problematic? And you're like, of course they did. So do you, so do I, all the time. And mm-hmm. that's what we need to talk about, how this is so ingrained in all of us, misogyny, racism, transphobia, homophobia. It's so ingrained in all of us all the time that it can't be a news story that one of us say something bad it, well, it could be as a means to le- educate other people but it, it's not about attacking and defending it's about educating and yeah. then saying thank you for the education and also we are all being played online like social media companies are making so much money off of our anger and our rage 
and they are fueling it. So I do think we need to get offline and talk to each other because in the current iteration of social media, it is killing democracy. Um, YouTube, for example, is like the worst. They know that if you mm. click on a conspiracy video, that will keep you online more than a video based on fact. So they feed you conspiracies and keep people kind of going down these rabbit holes. And a lot of people, people who are mentally ill, people have access to firearms. It's just like this deadly combination of disinformation and profiteers who really don't care about democracy and don't mm -hmm. care about people and are just making billions. So I think like we all have to be more like media literate, uh, empathetic, talk to each other offline. <laughs> You're going to go to my Twitter, like <laughs> cut to me fighting with some uh, Bernie. No. Um, but Bernie's also that great. is such a, such a privileged thing to be able to do, right? Like there's so many people housebound. There's so many people who just don't have the, in, like there's so Men. many people don't have the intelligence. And that's, again, not a bad thing. People can't To get that. offline. Intelligence isn't something you can get. No, not to get offline, but to be, to not be able to um, uh, to be able to differentiate between certain types of news and certain it's what I don't believe we have democracy. I don't think democracy isn't a thing as long as we're so unequal in terms of as long as so many people are so privileged com compared to other yeah. people. Democracy isn't a thing. It's yeah, still no. being run by the most the, the elite and the most. You can't like have different school like people with different education levels and expect their votes to be equal. Yeah, no, we I can't think have we can't have. Uh, Uh, it's like freedom of speech isn't really a thing because some people have more freedom of speech than others because some people get shut down with violence and silencing and shame yeah. and other things where some people can say whatever the fuck they want and never get hurt by it. So this idea that we have democracy and that we have freedom of speech is... <laughs> I call it, at least in our country, which I think is worse than your country, uh, I, I mean, I would call it a work-in-progress democracy. Whenever I feel like this... I look to people like John Lewis, who's a, a state rep in Georgia and a civil rights icon. I look to kind of older people who have kind of older. He's in his 80s. I'm 36. Mm. <laughs> people just a couple years older than me. No, but I look to people who've really fought the fight and been through it. And, uh, you know, to quote, I, I, before Trump, I did think like the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. That's a Martin Luther King quote. And, you know, I do think things are really dystopic now. Like, we didn't even get into the machine stuff, but that's <laughs> a whole separate issue. Like, I do think, you know, we'll have more equality when you erase gender, but by that time, we'll all be machines. And machines actually are probably going to be better for women than men. So <laughs> even if they're programmed by men. Um, so I just, as unhopeful as I am, I, I want to instill a level of hope into you and your listeners um, because I do think it's not someone said to me recently like with with the whole Trump thing it's like you know it's not necessarily worse than it's ever been we just like turn the lights on and now the cockroaches don't aren't scattering so it's like we're seeing you know like the minute that we got cameras on our phones we started in our country in America started to see police brutality and how mm. it was so racist And I think white America didn't really, was like ignorant to that. But then I think the majority of people are more empathetic than we give them credit for and, and do want other people to live uh, their, their best lives. So I do think there's that, you know, there's comfort in that. And I think we just have to kind of like force ourselves to tap into that and, and approach other people that way. Speaking of comfort, uh, <laughs> here's the last question I always ask on the podcast, which you might not like if you don't like sharing things about yourself, but this is the usual question. How um, many sex partners? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that kind of podcast. <laughs> so who have you banged? No. You're in the delivery room, and you've just been born. But you right now... I'm in the living room, and I've just... Delivery room. I, I, oh. I must be saying it wrong. No one's been able to hear me oh, say Oh, I today. thought you said living room, and I've just been born. I'm like, okay, a home birth. Okay, a home birth. That's the Delivery room. You've just been born. Teeny tiny Jenna is crying, because she was just in the womb, and that was nice and comfortable, right? It was warm, dark, perfect. Uh, and now she's out, and there's lights and sounds everywhere. It's very scary, so she's crying. She's looking at you. And she's like, what the fuck is this, right? Is this life? Is this all going to be lights and sounds everywhere all the time? That's horrible. 
And you know what the next 36 years of her life is going to be like. So mm. you can say something to her. You can't change anything. So you can't give yourself advice. You can't tell her to do anything. You have to just kind of tell her what life is going to be like. If that is what you want to say. What would you want to say to teeny tiny to baby, baby Jenna? Baby Jenna? Baby Jenna. Um, uh, I mean, you always lie to kids to just make sure that they... I was a very fearful child. So I don't think anything adult Jenna <laughs> could say to baby Jenna uh, would make anything better. Um, you, I think you would just, I think I, my love language, language is touch. So I think I would just, you know, I would just try to simulate the womb for baby Jenna outside the womb and just make baby Jenna feel warmth and love. But nothing you say is going to penetrate. <laughs> is that still a count? Yes. <laughs> just consensually, if I trust you and love you, just you know, make me feel warm. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing this. Where can people find your stuff? So online, Soft Focus is the show on Adult Swim. I think it's on Channel 4. It's definitely on YouTube. If you Google Jenna Friedman, Jenna with one N, Friedman like Friedman, and Campus Rape, you'll find that segment. And then I have a show in Chicago at The Hideout, June 14th. I'm doing Edinburgh uh, at the Assembly Room 5 at like 9.20 p.m. The show is called Miscarriage of Justice, and it's like a political hour of comedy. Brilliant. Social media stuff? Yeah. Uh, Twitter. Be nice. Or be mean, you guys. I can handle it. I don't, um, think, I would, I don't think these people have ever been mean to anyone. <laughs> well, uh, J-E-N-A Friedman. Friedman. That's my uh, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, same thing. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Sophie. It was really nice to talk to you. That was Jenna Friedman. Let her know that you appreciated the chat we had. And hey, let yourself know that I appreciate, I don't know where the sentence is going. I thought I was going to try and make like a link where I was going to tell you that I appreciate you for listening and for being uh, a supporter of the podcast, but yeah, it didn't work out, did it? It's, uh, it's still very a very chaotic time in my life. Um, I'm in deep, deep like trauma therapy. I have two therapists. I'm you know, have been touring, I'm about to do Edinburgh, so like that whole aspect of it is chaotic, and the book, my book, I have a book, Happy Fat, that's out, and I'm still kind of doing stuff for that, and I've just moved house, and my OCD could just cannot handle it, my OCD is just like, put the furniture in the right place, and my brain is like, but I don't know where the furniture should go, What what is the right place, we've not lived here long enough to know the what the perfect position is for the furniture and my brain is like the walls are not wide enough and I'm like I know but I'm not allowed to paint and it's just this battle with my OCD constantly so it's very hard to do anything basically so uh thank you again for your patience we will work it all out and uh it's one of my favorite uh, projects to do so I wholeheartedly appreciate your financial support because without you it just wouldn't happen and it makes me so happy and it makes other people happy and that's the thing that I I don't think I say often enough because you know I always thank you for helping me out you know I'm, I'm always thanking you for supporting the podcast because I love doing it but ooh, and this is gonna sound a bit cringe probably but I've I've heard I hear from enough people I hear from a lot of people, actually, that the podcast means a lot to them and that it has, you know, helped people through times in their lives and that it's, I mean, I've I've heard amazing things from people that are so overwhelming to hear those things. But what I'm saying is it couldn't happen because of you, so that's also on you. Like, you're the ones these people should thank because you're supporting the podcast, you're keeping it alive. Um, you're keeping it alive with your financial support. So those people should not be thanking me as much as they should be thanking you, is what I'm trying to say. Now, the if you want to support it financially, you can go on to madeofhumanpodcast.com and give a one-off donation, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash mopod. 
Oh my god, I forgot to mention in the past couple of episodes that uh, there is a... Uh, after I do the interview or the chat, after I have the chat with the person, with the guest, we do an extra little chat where I ask them the same six questions each time. Stuff like, what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? What's an unpopular opinion of yours? Uh, recommend something for, to people? Do you have a life hack? Questions like that. And... Um, I upload that to Patreon on, I think, on Saturdays, usually on Saturdays when we have a regular schedule. So if you are a patron, you get to see, get these extra little bits that no one else gets. So if uh, you want to be a friend of the podcast, that means you donate $5 or more per episode, then uh, you will have your name <laughs> butchered right now by me. So friends of the podcast... Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. And you people are Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, Ashley Salmon, Alton Blue Sky, Barry Norton, Caitlin, Cat Posey, Cherry Winter, Claire McCowlin, Connor O'Donovan, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifershe, Daphne Fanger, Eleanor, Emma Chan, Vanilla Dawn, Privacy Osaurus, Aurora Teratops, Fiona Richardson, Hannah Rose Tristram, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Min Minow, Heather Watson, Ida Sogolasen, Janie Mahoney, Joe C, Kathleen Gudmundsson, Kathy Draxelbauer, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Engelsen, uh, Katie Travis, Kim Williams, Kirsten Davidson, Queen C, Lily and Harry French, this time in Dinosaur Onesies, M Dash, Maury Fraser, Mansour Mir, Maketza Dubalova, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Perpetua T Motion, Pierre Fenne, sorry Pierre, Pierre Fenne, uh, Rachel Evenheim, Rachel Furley, Rachel Phillips, the three Rachels, Ragdoll, Robert Knowles, Robin Kapper, Sarah Ferreira, Ica Seth, Sarah Ellett, Sarah Plumer, that's the three Sarahs, uh, Susie Tyler and Victoria Layton. I want to thank all of you for being amazing supporters. I want to thank Dave Pickering for producing the episode. I want to thank Kitty Edgar for doing the admin, Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and Linda Brinkhouse for the logo, and Soho Theta for letting me record some episodes there. And to you all for being great listeners. I will speak to you soon. Bye. Low power.